70% of the kids in my studies had never been given any guidance by anybody. They winged it. They treated their loved one as if they were babysitting, maybe treated them how they thought they would like to be taken care of. And so it really, the, the genesis of the why care came out of my clinical practice and it came out of the words of the youth that I researched. Hello everyone and welcome to Connecting ALS. I am your host, Jeremy Holden. Memorial Day marks the unofficial beginning of summer, with schools across the country winding down the school year and families planning vacation. But ALS does not take summer off. Kids often have to take on the role of caregiver in some form, and this presents unique challenges. Training methods designed for adults may not address the needs of young caregivers on either physical or emotional level, because kids aren't just smaller adults, they're kids. Since 2015, the Y-Care Youth Caregiving Program has provided support, training, and resources for kids who help care for loved ones with ALS across the country. I recently caught up with Dr. Melinda Cavanaugh, professor of social work at the Helen Bader School of Social Welfare at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee and the architect behind the Y-Care Program. We talked about her work empowering kids to be effective caregivers and her recent efforts to expand the program globally, starting in South Africa. Dr. Kavanaugh, thanks as always for being with us on Connecting ALS. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for the invitation. Yeah, always happy to have you on. And today we're talking about something that I know is near and dear to your heart, and that is the youth of America and increasingly the youth around the world. The Y Care program has been around for a while, but for listeners who maybe aren't aware of it, what is Y Care? How did it come into existence? Yeah, so Why Care is a program that was created after my many years of clinical work, being a social worker in neurology, seeing kids doing all kinds of care tasks in the home for their family member, and really not having any guidance in it. Talking with kids and saying, how did you know how to disinfect a feeding tube? Yeah. And they would say things like, oh, I just watched someone do it, or I guessed. And so as I started moving into more of an academic role and becoming a professor of social work, my research really has focused and centered on the role that kids play as caregivers. And some of my earliest research, again, I asked those questions as part of research projects, how do you know what you're doing? And 70% of the kids in my studies had never been given any guidance by anybody. They winged it. They treated their loved one as if they were babysitting, maybe treated them how they thought they would like to be taken care of. And so it really, the genesis of the why care came out of my clinical practice and it came out of the words of the youth that I researched and interviewed in my very early parts of my career. And so because I am a social worker and a medical social worker and everything I do is really focused on interdisciplinary work, I went to my colleagues at the Medical College of Wisconsin and said, hey, how do you guys teach adult caregivers? And they're like, this is what we do. And I said, you want to do it with kids? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. After they had the first initial, wait, what? It was really an iterative, really lovely process trying to figure out what does a PT need to do? What does an OT do? What about a speech therapist, a respiratory therapist? Long answer to started out in clinical practice, used the voices of the kids, and then engaged all of my amazing colleagues in an interdisciplinary way to come up with a program that gives kids the skills and the support and the peer engagement and quite frankly, the fun to know what they're doing when they're, they've been doing care for many years, many of them for many years. 
Yeah, that the need for that support for that training really comes through. The I've had the really fortunate opportunity. Well, not fortunate is certainly not the right word, but I've been blessed to be able to talk to kids who do serve as caregivers and hear about some of their experiences and share some of their stories with listeners and, and through other platforms. That really comes through the need for that support. It comes through with the resource guides that you put together mm-hmm. for kids, for young adults, for adolescents yep. who are acting as caregivers. Through the Y Care program, Do you have a sense of scope of how many kids, how many youths have gone through that program over the years? Yeah, absolutely. It started in ALS, but we've expanded it across other neurological disorders. So we have now also done it in the Alzheimer's and related dementia community. We actually just did it recently for children and youth who are helping to take care of their sibling who has severe autism. Inclusive of all of these groups, we've had over 140 kids participate in the Y-Care program at various locations around the U.S. and in South Africa. And one of the things that I am incredibly proud of is that we have had about 74 healthcare professionals go through the training. So they all go through a half a day training with me on what is Y-Care and how do we work with kids. And these are the most amazing healthcare professionals, because then they go back into their profession and their community and their clinics and their hospitals, and they now take with them, oh, wait, kids are providing care. I'm going to I'm gonna approach my practice just a little bit differently, and I'm going to think about how I do that home visit or how I do that clinic visit. And I'm incredibly proud of that aspect, because I think we're making a difference, not just in the lives of the children, but we're making a difference in a really complex and interdisciplinary group group of healthcare professionals who touch people's lives every day. Yeah. You mentioned South Africa. You presented at the International Alliance of ALS M&D Association's annual meeting mm-hmm. and the Allied Professionals Forum. You talked there about the efforts to bring Y-Care to South Africa. It stands to reason that kids are acting as caregivers, not just in the United States, but around the world. But just talk me through the decision-making process that This was the right time to start to think globally. Why was South Africa the kind of the pilot? Why start there? Kind of what's on the horizon? Ah, That's a really good question. Uh, Started with South Africa because I have been doing research and project work with some of the most extraordinary neurologists and colleagues and professors in South Africa since 2015. It was a normal extension of a research project we did, just trying to get a sense of Are there kids providing care to parents and families with ALS? What are they doing? What do they need? So we had this program in the U.S., this Y-Care program, but we knew that it really wouldn't translate to other cultures, right? We need to be adaptable. We need to be flexible. And we need to create the program in a nimble way to where we can say, does this module, so if we're going to do a module on speech and communication, do people in this location, not necessarily country, but geographic location, do they even have access to speech generating devices? If not, what does that module look like to help kids communicate with their family members? And as an example, when we did it just this last time, we did it it, several times in both Johannesburg and in Cape Town. And I brought with me a very large stack of donated laminate alphabet boards, picture boards, because families don't have access to high-tech 
communication devices. And those boards were snapped up so quickly by all the kids. They said, can we keep them? This is we. This is going to help us be able to talk to my grandma or my grandpa or my dad or my mom. And so doing it in South Africa has been extraordinary. And it's taught me a lot about how we take a program that has been developed in a country with so much and how do we adapt it to be just as effective in a country that doesn't have as much. And doing it in South Africa has opened up, you asked about the global impact, if you will, it's really opened up the recognition that there are places all over the world. I was in a meeting recently with the Alliance and they were talking about reach. And you just look at the continent of Africa and we know so little about what's going on with children and families and ALS and other complex neurological disorders throughout the whole continent. And it was really an eye-opening opportunity. We engaged the community, we engaged healthcare providers, we engaged families. How do we adapt this? And we were able to not only adapt it to the community, but we've also translated the YCARE program into Zulu, and it's in process of being translated into both Afrikaans and Tswana, three of the 11 official languages in South Africa. So that is, it's key. You can't go places around the world with a program that was developed in the U.S. and not say, hey, we're going to not only blow it up, if you will, and make it work for your community and your country and your culture, but we're also going to make it accessible language-wise. So those are cornerstones of where we're at with the YCARE program now. Interesting dynamics. I'd thought about the translation component of it, right? That you have to make, talk mm -hmm. to people in the language that they speak. The resource component of it struck me. I hadn't considered, and it probably short-sighted of me, but it's fascinating to think about some of the cultural differences of how mm -hmm. families organize and operate in different pockets of the world in different regions and different countries and different parts of different countries. That's a fascinating component. What were some of the what were some of the kind of challenges that you maybe didn't anticipate and had to think on the fly about how are we going to make this work here? I don't know that I didn't anticipate it, but maybe one of the biggest challenges. So we've run into this in the US as well. Families are often reluctant to acknowledge that their child is involved in the level of care that they are involved in. There's a lot of assumptions in the U.S. around abuse and neglect and having your child removed from the home and foster care systems, right? Lots of, as a social worker, I've dealt with this all of my career, right? Sure. So I, I get that from the U.S. perspective. What, what changed a bit in the South African perspective was Care is very normal. Care is very normalized. But what is not normalized, if you will, is disease and living with disease that is very stigmatizing and often has, and this is not just South Africa, there's certainly lots of places around the world, but it's not just that it's stigmatizing, it's that there's an assumption that You've either done something wrong, you might have been cursed, something's wrong with your family. So what we really had to dig in and understand was it wasn't just that families might be reluctant to have their children attend because the care component, but families might be reluctant to attend universally because of the stigma and the potential shame associated with kind of quote unquote outing themselves right. as living with this illness. And so 
What we changed some in the YCARE program was we also did it with families as well. So we've never done the YCARE program with adults here in the U.S. because we've seen that children clam up, if you will. They aren't going to open up and say what's really struggling with them when their person living with ALS is right next to them. Sure. Uh, but in South Africa, because there was so little resource for any caregiver, we had so many adults and so many families saying, but can we come too? We need to learn as well. So we did make a, an additional adaption that was different. We hadn't expected it to address the stigma and shame, but also the need for the whole family to participate. Fascinating. Uh, yeah, that stigma and shame is something that we are learning more about and something that is going to, I think, inform a lot of the work going forward. Mm -hmm. What, Dr. Kavanaugh, is on the horizon now for the Global Neuro Y Care Foundation? Uh, thank you. Yes. We actually have several things on the horizon. We have several cornerstones. So Y Care itself is the program that we've been discussing. As part of the foundation writ large, Y Care is more about the youth, the caregiving, the advocacy, the resources, and the education. So it encompasses the YCARE program, but it's also much larger. So some of the things that we're working on right now are mental health in children and youth who are caregivers and building connections with organizations around the world who are in lower, in lower and middle income countries. So not that we aren't engaging with higher income countries by no means. We're absolutely engaging with everyone around the world. Sure. But a lot of our partners in more lower income countries have fewer resources. So what do we know from the U.S. perspective, from maybe the European perspective? How can we bring those to organizations that serve children and youth that aren't focused on ALS, but now they will know more about ALS. They'll know more about chronic and complicated neurological disorders writ large, which is really a focus of ours at the foundation. We're continuing to translate not only the Y Care program, but all the different books and resources. Our graphic novel is also being translated into Setswana, which will be its ninth language. Wow. The YCARE program, we're also working to get the whole YCARE program translated into Spanish, which will be phenomenal for here in the U.S., but also with a lot of the countries that we're starting to partner with in South America, offering this program and again, a more accessible way. And the last thing is advocacy. I work with several country-specific organizations that have brought young caregiver programs to their countries. So because we're a global organization, we can connect them together and we can connect them with the things that we've been doing here in the U.S. and what we've learned from other countries such as South Africa to provide more supports and advocating for really countrywide programs, policies, and services for these kids. It really gives a sense of the global community that's coming together Absolutely. to try and make ALS livable and accelerate the search for treatments and ways to cure ALS. Dr. Kavanaugh, thanks so much as always for your time. <laughs> it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Jeremy. And thank you for all that you do to really get, uh, get the advocacy out for children and families with ALS. I appreciate it. I want to thank my guest this week, Dr. Melinda Kavanaugh. If you like this episode, share it with a friend. And while you're at it, please rate and review Connecting ALS wherever you listen to podcasts. It's a great way for us to connect with more listeners. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Race Car. 
post-production by Alex Brower, production management by Gabriella Montekin, supervised by David Hoffman. That's going to do it for this week. Thanks for tuning in. We'll connect with you again soon.